Welcome to the Free From Wall Street podcast, where we talk about how to create, preserve, preserve, and pass on generational wealth without the roller coaster ride of the stock market. And now, here's your host, Stephen Libman, managing partner of Integrity Holdings Group. Welcome back to the Free From Wall Street podcast. My name is Steve Libman. I am your host, managing partner of Integrity Holdings Group today. We are really excited to have Leif Babin from Echelon Front. So Leif has an amazing background, amazing story. He is a Silver Star recipient, two Bronze Stars, Purple Heart for his decorated service with the SEAL teams in Iraq, Battle of Ramadi, and then came back and co-founded Echelon Front, which is an amazing business leadership company. I'll let him tell a little bit more about that. And then also the co-author of New York Times best-selling book, Extreme Ownership and Dichotomy of Leadership, both books, which are required reading for anybody that works for our company. And I know a lot of other people that buy it as well. So welcome, Leif. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. Great, uh, great to be on here with you. I, I feel like my background is anything other than amazing, but I, I've been honored to have participated in some very humbling combat operations, passed on leadership lessons to the SEAL teams uh, for a couple of years as an instructor. And then you know, th- for the last almost nine years now, Jocko Willink, my business partner, and I have, have taught those lessons to leaders across every industry in the business world you can imagine. So yeah. um, it's, been, it's been awesome to do that. And uh, I'm glad you get a chance to work with Jocko, you know, in that capacity. So very cool. Yeah, it was very cool. And so first and foremost, thank you so much for your service. We've had a lot of servicemen and women on this podcast uh, talking about their transition from military life to civilian life and what they've been able to do themselves to pivot from that very routine paycheck that they were used to getting to kind of getting out of their comfort zone and doing some investing and buying some real estate, flipping some houses, investing passively. We just had a great call the other day with a bunch of military folks about the TSP program. The CARES Act is allowing for $100,000 withdrawals from the TSPs penalty-free. So a lot of people are given some opportunity right now that they otherwise would have. But yeah, we seem to have a lot of patriots on the show, which I'm proud of. So that's great. So yeah, so when we got to go out and hang out with Jocko and a bunch of the guys from Echelon Front, it was such an amazing time. We spent an entire day doing some tactical training and talking about the lessons that you guys are teaching and how to apply that into a business world. And further than that, I mean, these aren't just business ideals, right? I mean, you need to implement these types of ideals in your family, in your personal life. It's really across the board mindset, right? No question about it. You know, we, we say uh, leadership lessons for business and life because uh, it absolutely applies in every aspect. You know, we're talking about things like extreme ownership, where you got to take ownership of everything in your world, not just what you're responsible for, but every single thing that impacts your mission. And that applies in a work environment, um, you know, with, with work, working with a boss or with your colleagues or your team, uh, you know, when, when you're trying to accomplish that mission, you know, in the business world, it certainly applies when you're talking about being a parent, being a spouse, uh, a member of your community as well. And, and, you know, it's about if you can take extreme ownership, you're going to build stronger relationships with people. You're going to get problems solved uh, and, and you're going to be a lot more effective uh, across every aspect of your life for sure. Yeah. Some of the key takeaways for me is this is applicable and it's like a it's like a muscle, right? You can you can become a leader. You can learn to become a leader. And I love when people say leaders aren't made; they're born. And 
that's changed, right? That that paradigm shift has has taken place, I think, where people are, are recognizing that there are skills that you can learn and implement and continue to implement and get better and better at versus I'm either a leader or I'm not. Yeah, look, I, I think that's a big excuse that people use, right? I've seen the people that, that say, well, leaders are born, not made, and you either have it or you don't. What that really means is you, you're waiting to hire like the one person on your team that can come in and make all the difference in the world. Instead of actually, you know, really what you're doing is giving yourself an out instead of actually taking ownership yourself and say, well, look, if you were actually training and mentoring and working with people, then they would get a lot better as a result. There's no question that there are people that are born with certain skills. Some people have more charisma. Some people have the ability to, you know, the gift of gab, you know, some have called it to be able to stand up in front of a room and engage people. There's no question that people have you know, so, some innate skills uh, when it comes to that. But there's no question also that leadership is a skill and that skill can be honed, that skill can be learned, that skill can be improved upon. The only people that are the exception to that rule are people who are simply not humble enough to accept criticism, to look themselves in the mirror and realize that they have things that they can work on that they can't improve on, or the people that just deny that it's that it is their fault, or they can't they can't actually take ownership of issues that there are mistakes they made where they could have improved. And when you have someone who's not humble, then they're not ever going to get better. And so those are the people that I, we see fail. We saw that in the SEAL teams. This is, this is what causes leaders to get fired in almost every case in the SEAL teams, not because they're tactically unsound, not because they're not physically fit, not because they're not capable. It's simply because they can't take ownership and they want to point fingers and, and make excuses and cast blame. And it's exactly the same thing in the business world or really in any, any aspect of life. Yeah. And I think that humility piece is so big. It's a core value in, in one of our, in our businesses and become a core value because it got learned, right? I think when we started this business, I'm man enough to admit that I was trying to lead with some force and not the way that you guys are teaching in the book. And I think I've become a better leader over the last decade because of information that you guys have shared. And that humility piece, I think it's a difficult thing to look inward, right? It's, and take that ownership. It's easy to look outward and create those excuses but once you get to that place of really living with some humility, man, the relationships that it builds, the attraction of other people that are also humble and willing to win and do anything that it takes to win and put themselves second to the mission, that's when you really start to see the beauty of humility come out. I think humility is talked about a lot in kind of an ethereal way, and maybe it's more theory than actual practice. But when you see it in practice, man, it, it makes all the difference in the world. No question about Steven. We, we see that, you know, the joke in the SEAL teams is that, uh, is that people fighting over who's the most humble guy, you know, bragging about how <laughs> humble they are. Yeah. And obviously that's, uh, that's ridiculous. You know, all joking aside, you know, we ask that question all the time. What's the most important quality in a leader? And the answer is humility. The answer is humility. Because when you're not humble, then you, you can't ultimately look in the mirror with that really a, a realistic self-assessment of where could you improve? You know, where are you weak? Where, where do you actually need work? Um, how could you have done things better? Uh, and that's really the, the key quality that, that the most successful people have is that they, they're willing to look themselves in the mirror because so they're constantly learning and improving all the time. And it, it's, you know, the other thing I think it's important to say is when we talk about leadership, sometimes people see that, particularly in the civilian world, they see that as like, oh, you're talking about the senior boss man or boss woman in charge of, you know, this huge team at the, at the highest levels of, you know, C-suite corporate America. That's not at all what we're talking about. We're talking at leaders at every level of the team, from the senior person in charge 
down to the frontline trooper, not in charge of anybody else, but just themselves and their piece of the mission. And, and I think when you see how much power and how much control you have over a situation simply by taking ownership, by building relationships, by leveraging resources, by creating opportunities or making recommendations, even up the chain, if it's, if it's above your pay grade to make recommendations, that's really the secret of extreme ownership. And it applies no matter what level of the team that you're on. Yeah, and it was great to hear that leading up the chain of command, because I think a lot of people have the idea that if they're the low man on the totem pole, they can't lead. And it's just not true, right? You can lead up the chain of command and you can actually help the people that are supposed to be leading you lead better by, by being a leader yourself. I think in the business world, it has gotten skewed and you guys are helping level the playing field to let people know that to be a leader, that you got to check the ego, right? You got to be there for your people and then they reciprocate those actions. That's one of the biggest challenges that we see for people is like, well, what do you mean lead up the chain? How do I lead my boss? How do I influence my, my boss at all? They're in charge of me. I can't, I can't do anything about that. The reality is, I mean, I, I was one of the, in, in the SEALTs, we call it drinking the haterade. Just you're drinking the haterade, just about how terrible the boss and your boss's boss is, you know, up the chain. They don't get what's going on out here on the front lines. I, I was probably the chief haterade drinker in Tasky and Bruiser when I was working with Jocko, you know, the other guys there. I drank the Haterade big time. And I remember having those conversations with Jocko only to realize, you know, when I was saying, they don't get what's going on down here, you know, on the front lines. And Jocko was like, yeah, they don't get it because they're not here. So right. how would they get it? So then the question is, well, how do they know what's going on the front lines? Well, they're just reading our reports, you know, and they think they know what's going on. It's like, okay, cool. Well, if they don't know what's going on and they're just reading our reports, then who's writing the reports? Right. Oh, I'm writing the reports. Whose fault? I'm is? actually the one writing the reports. So if they don't know what's going on here, whose fault is that? It's not their fault. It's, it's my fault. And, and I have, obviously need to write better reports to articulate to them what actually is going on so they have the critical information that they need. And that's, that's just an example of the power of extreme ownership. And once right. that was a, a light bulb that went off in my head, it was totally yeah. game changing for me. Uh, because you realize, wow, I'm actually in control over that. The fact that they don't get it. And, and if they don't get it, it's actually my fault and I'm letting them down. And, and it's the same thing, Stephen, it applies across any aspect of your life. You know, we see this a lot when, you know, if you and I are, whether you're, let's say you're my neighbor and we have a conflict, we don't like each other. You don't like me. And I, and I think, well, what can I do about that? What can I do about that? You know, you, Stephen doesn't like me. He's got a bad perception of me. I don't think that perception's accurate. So uh, what can I do about that? Right. But when I actually look at this and say, well, well, Stephen's perception of me is incorrect, but that perception is based on my actions and I'm in control of my actions. So that, you know, if he thinks that I'm an egotistical maniac or that I'm, I'm trying to, you know, do something uh, to undermine him in some way, then I actually, I'm in control of my actions. So I can actually do something different to change that perception of me. And I actually have total control over that situation. So this applies up the chain of command. It applies to, you know, friends and neighbors. It applies to peers in the workplace. It applies to your, your kids, you know, your spouse in any way, shape or form. And I think that is the power of extreme ownership uh, to realize that stop making excuses, stop blaming other people. Because as long as I'm blaming you and saying it's all your fault and I can't control it, then the problem never gets solved. No one's right. ever going to solve that problem because the, and so the problems persist and they generally get worse. Whereas as soon as I actually step up and I take ownership and realize I'm actually in control of this, I take steps to change the, your perception of me by taking different actions. Well, now we get the problem solved. We build a better relationship and the problem goes away. Yeah. 
I love it. Dave stood up when we had our seminar with you guys and he said, who's, who's read the book? Everybody raised their hand. He said, okay, good. If you haven't read the book, I'm going to give you the abridged version. Everything's your fault. The end. And I, <laughs> so quick story, my six-year-old, <laughs> she came upstairs, she was crying. The two-year-old did something. And I was jokingly said, everything's your fault. Right. And she looked at me and burst into tears. And I was like, oh man, that everything your fault. So that is real. Maybe a softer glove should be used when using it on a six-year-old. So I don't know if you've ever told your kids that everything's your fault, but she's super sensitive. She started crying. My wife and I had a a little bit of a conflict after that about me saying everything is your fault to my six-year-old. And then she came immediately downstairs. I I would push back on that uh, because when you are saying everything is your fault, Stephen, what, what are you actually saying? you're actually putting all blame on her rather than right. you taking blame for something. And this, right. is one of the, this is one of the biggest questions that we get. How do you get people to take ownership when they make a mistake, when they screw things up? How do you get them to actually take ownership of that? And the answer yep. is very simple. You take ownership. And it's yeah. one of the biggest failings, even for people who've read the book, who live and, and breathe this stuff. I fail at this. And I can tell you, my wife will remind me with frequency when I start casting blame, make excuses that I wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, talk it, about the mo- most extreme way to have to take ownership is by writing the book you guys wrote. <laughs> I mean, listen, I mean, this is the reality. Hard, and that's why we say these things are simple, not easy. And here's an example with kids. So I've got a five-year-old son. He's a lot like me. He's hard. He's, he's, he's very hard-headed. He'll push back on things. And he's up late at night because I let him stay up late. And I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll be like, you need to just go to bed. You know, you're out of control right now. And, and, uh, you know, you're tired. You need to go to bed. I said, I'm not tired. He's like pushing back on me. We're going back and forth, back and forth. And then I'll take a step back. I'll take, I'll detach. So I can actually see the bigger picture of things, think about it and say, you know what, son, this is my fault. I'll let you stay up too late. This is my fault. And I'm not going to do that again. Next time I'm going to make sure that you go to bed at your bedtime because clearly, you know, you're you're too tired and it's it's my fault for letting that happen. And when I actually do that, I'm watching in this five-year-old, an amazing example, how well this stuff works. He, because it actually is my fault. I'm not just right. saying it's not a Jedi mind trick. Right. No, it actually is my I'm, fault. I'm it's the parent. Five. It, it's, right. Yeah. Whether or not he goes to bed is entirely up to me, not him. So it's 100% my fault. But when so, I take ownership of that, instead of him actually, you know, just button heads with me and saying, yeah, dad, it is all your fault. He actually says, yeah, you know what, dad, I am tired. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of ready to go to bed. Let's, let's read a story. I mean, you, you see the problem actually getting solved simply by taking ownership. So that is the secret is when you want to people take ownership, don't point blame, don't point fingers at them and say, you need to take ownership. You actually take ownership. Yeah. So that's great because my wife and I were putting together a couple of questions to to ask on this podcast that I said we were going to be doing today. And one of them was, you know, how do you get through like, you know, so the opposite of that is a sensitive kid that's pouty or whiny about stuff and they don't, you you can't fire them. Right. Do you push harder? Do you lay back? And, you know, it sounds like you just kind of answered it. It's not about harsh. It's not about personality. It's about you saying, look, this is my fault, right? And whatever the issue is and addressing where you stood out and allowing them to, to see you do that and go, okay, cool. Now we can move forward. Look, when people see you put your ego in check, they can, they can put their egos in check. And it doesn't matter if they're a toddler or if they're an adult. You know, I, I do think people look at you know, they think they have a perception of the military or the SEAL teams, or, you know, they look at someone like Jocko or, or me and think we're going to hold the line in every situation. And the, the reality is, is the direct approach is almost never the right approach. 
and this is something that Sun Tzu wrote about, you know, 3000 years ago, yeah. you know, that, that uh, this, the frontal assault on, on a hardened enemy position is, is going to be very costly and, and generally uh, less effective. You want to be, you want to use the flanking maneuver, you know, coming from the side, coming from the back, approaching them in a way that they don't see. So that softer approach, the indirect approach is, is almost always going to be the best way to approach things. Every human being is different, you know, and I, it's interesting when you go into these, a lot of leadership consulting firms, they, they like to use these psychological profiles and kind of put people right. in different boxes. And that's all well and fine. No, no factor. I mean, obviously there are similarities in people, but every single person is different. Every right. single human being is different. And so we say there's only two measures that matter, effective and ineffective. So, you know, if you're communicating with your kids, with others in a way, you got to find a way to be effective. If you're not effective, then you got to find a way to be effective. And that is kind of you taking a subtle approach, using that, that indirect approach. I mean, think about it. If you're having a conversation with, with your wife, you know, or your spouse for anyone out there, and you can see that they're getting spun up or angry or agitated about something, what happens if you tell them to calm down? Right. What happens? Yeah. Yeah. What's the all relax. Yeah. Relax. Yeah. You need to just settle down right now. <laughs> I, I can tell you for me, it delivers the opposite outcome. That's right. Right. The opposite outcome. So it's a whole lot better to take the indirect approach and say, I can see that happening. And so what I actually need to do is say, you know what? Hey, I can see there's a lot on your plate right now. Let me take this off. I, I can take the kids and take them outside for a little bit. Let me handle this problem. Hey, let me jump in there and do the dishes. You know, let me jump in here and actually solve this problem or let me talk to the landscape or whatever, whatever it may be in the most seemingly uh, menial task, I can actually handle that problem so much better by the indirect approach, the, me the direct approach, which is going to produce the opposite outcome that I, I desire. Uh, and, then, and that's what's better for the entire team. So, uh, you know, that is just, a, just one small example. And it's the same thing with kids too. I've noticed, you know, for, for me, my kids, I'll say, hey, it's bath time, go get in the bath. Hey, I told you it's bath time. Go get in the bath. I'm not going to tell you yet. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll go through this. And then, and then finally I realized, hey, my kids are like me. They're pretty competitive. So I was like, hey, who's going to be the first one in the bathtub tonight? Race to the top. I just, I just throw it out there. All of a sudden, it's a race. All of a sudden, it's a competition. And they, right. will just, they will be fighting and clawing to get in the bathtub first. And I just sit there and kind of smile. I don't even have to raise my voice. Uh, it produces the immediate outcome that I'm trying to deliver. Right. Uh, it's, it's indirect approach, which is in, instantly effective, versus the direct approach, which is not at all effective. You know? It immediately creates pushback. I mean, in, in almost every human being, right? It's like the harder I come at you, the immediate your defense mechanisms go up and you go, I don't like this. I don't like to be told what to do. I don't like to be told this in this tone or this way. So yeah, it starts to, it creates shutdown and panic. So let's pivot a little bit into COVID-19, coronavirus, May 15th. And people are dealing with a lot of new and different things. And I think that the principles in your book, I mean, we're circling back to kids a lot. I think people are stuck at home with their kids. They've become teacher. They've become disciplinarian principal. People are working from home now. And I think that when you start to apply some of these new stresses in life, right? If people don't know that they're the leader of the family or that they can check your ego and make things simple. And you can, you can do some of the principles that are in the book in your house. What advice do you have for people that are pivoting into this whole new world and just give us a couple of leadership tips through crisis, which clearly you guys know a lot about. I mean, a lot of people look at this as a crisis and what should they be doing to help themselves and their families get through it? 
Absolutely. Well, first of all, it starts with taking ownership. When you're under pressure, it's easy to lose your cool. It's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to get angry more so than you, than you might would otherwise when you're under pressure, when you're under stress, when you're not sleeping as well. You know, when, when uh, this is something we see on deployment, you know, when you're locked in a, a small space and, you know, working in a, in a camp with a, a group of guys, you can get on each other's nerves by the end of that deployment after six or six or seven months together. So uh, same thing, obviously with families, you know, that are self-isolated and in so many areas right now. So be aware of that, take ownership, uh, rather than get frustrated with someone else, look at, look at yourself first. We, we utilize what we call four laws of combat. And those are cover and move, simple, prioritize and execute and decentralize command. These are really the, the four principles that, that any team, any organization can actually utilize. Uh, and I think that applies in, in your workspace. It applies uh, absolutely on the home front. Cover and move is simply about teamwork, working together as a team and realize, listen, when the team wins, everybody wins. When the team fails, everybody fails. So that means that, you know, if I, if I see that, you know, my spouse is covering down on stuff or my, my kids are, are covering down on stuff or my dad is, or my mom or whoever it is, you know, is actually taking a lot on them. I can actually help them take some of that for them, cover so they can move, then they can cover so I can move. And really what that really is, the summarized cover move is simply just about the recognition that it's not about you, it's about the mission. But the, the mission is first. And if the team wins, everybody wins. So I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I can to support the mission. Part of cover moves the recognition that it's, it's, there's, if you're saying that's not my job, then you don't understand cover move, right? So, because if, if, if you understand cover move, then there is, there's nothing that's not my job. I'm going to do whatever I can to help the team out in any way that I can. So that is a principle I think can help you very much. So, you know, on the home front, as well as on, on, in the business front. Keeping it simple, you know, keeping things simple uh, as well. You know, communications have to, have to be in a manner that's simple, clear, concise. The test for whether or not you've communicated effectively and whether you're talking to your kids, whether you're talking to your spouse, whether you're talking to a colleague in a work from home environment, you know, through text message or a phone call or a Zoom, you know, meeting is uh, the test for whether or not you've done it right is that they get it. And if they don't get it, instead of getting frustrated and angry with them, look at yourself first, take ownership. And realize, okay, I've got to keep things simple, and I've got to communicate in a manner that's simple, clear, and concise. So that's that's a really important one as well. Prioritize and execute when you've got twelve or fifteen things buried down on you. This is a big one on the home front right now. People that are working from home and trying to take care of all they have to do, you know, from a, a work perspective at home. Meanwhile, they're also having to homeschool their kids. They're having to actually make time to do the things around the house they need to do and balance all those things. You got to be disciplined. You got to put together a schedule. You got to be able to follow those priorities, uh, manage that schedule. And obviously part of prioritizing execute as well is, is being flexible. So you can actually shift to different priorities. And then finally, decentralized command. So if you're trying to do everything and dictate to everybody what they should do, you're not going to be successful. So you've got to actually give the broad overarching guidance which is what we call commander's intent in the military. The, this is the strategic goal we're trying to accomplish and then allow people to step up, to be able to come up with a plan on how they could best execute that. That applies whether you're talking on the home front with that kid's homeschooling schedule. Let them come up with their schedule as much as they can. Make sure that it meets the parameters. Make sure that it meets the, you know, the, uh, within the time constraints and, and the resource that you have. And the same thing too for your, your team, you know, in a work from home environment, here's the overarching goal. Let's talk about how we're going to actually execute that and give people ownership of that plan so they can step up and lead. Those things are going to be crucial to allowing you to be successful, both on the home front and, and from a business perspective. Yeah. And something that resonated with me when we were at your seminar too, is if I force my plan down your throat and it's hundred percent got to be my plan, 
how well are you going to execute on my plan if you disagree with it, right? And you guys talked about this in the book a little bit. I'd rather have somebody that's going to do something 80% of the way that I would do it, but be 100% owned into their own plan because they're going to go and make it work. How easy is it for them to come back to me and say, hey, your plan didn't work, dummy, right? Versus this is my plan. Now I got to take ownership of it. And if it doesn't work, it's me that's looking at it as a failure. So they're going to work that much harder to make sure that that gets done. And being able to say, here's the goal and let people figure out what their own plan is to get there. That was big for me to learn as a leader too, because we always think, I think as entrepreneurs and as business owners and leaders that we're the only ones that have good ideas. But when you start to recognize that these amazing people that you've hired to go along this journey with you have better ideas often than you do as the leader, and you can give that up and let them go and run and watch them win on your behalf and win with you, it's huge. And they, they may come up with something that is, uh, I mean, even a new guy in a SEAL platoon, it may come up with a, just bring in a new perspective uh, and come up with a way to solve a problem that you've been dealing with in a way that you hadn't even thought about. It's way more effective. So rather than me dictate everything, you know, who's, who's the better leader? Me dictating everything and showing everyone that I'm in charge or me allowing my people to come up with the, the most innovative and creative way to solve a problem, which then makes my team that much more effective it makes me look like a rock star leader you know, right. when, uh, to, to allow that to happen. I mean, your point, Stephen, I think is a really great one, which is, you know, if you dictate to me what the plan is and it's your plan, even if I have issues with the plan, you just say, shut up and go do it. I mean, as soon as we come up against an obstacle, man, I, that plan is going to fail. I'm in a hundred percent, right? It's going to fail. Why? So I can go back and show you, Stephen, Stephen, think of this. That's Whereas right. if you let me execute with the 80% solution, I come up against an obstacle. I'm going to figure out a way around that obstacle. I'm going to come back to you and say, hey, Stephen, here's what we did You know, in order to overcome this. There's a much greater chance that we figure out a solution to solve the problem than we're overall successful. Even if your solution was 100% and mine's only 80%, man, you, you want to let your people run with stuff for sure. Yeah. And it's no different for kids too. You know, If I let my kids come up with how they're going to execute a plan uh, and it's their plan, it's, it's the greatest thing in the world. My son who's five, as I said before, we do, we do, we do these workouts. Jocko has you know the Warrior Kid book series and and so my son has read, read those and, and we were doing this warrior kid workout, like deck of cards workout where you assign, you know, each, each suit in the deck of cards is assigned different exercises. And I try to get my son to work out with me all the time. He'll push back and say, I don't want to do it. I'm tired. I don't feel like it. I just let him come up with a plan. And we must've erased, like he assigned like diamonds was push-ups, Then diamonds was jumping jacks. Then diamonds was squats. Then diamonds was lunges. We, we went back and forth. I was getting a little impatient, but I suppressed that. <laughs> right. I let him come up with a plan. He did the entire workout with me for the first time ever. Didn't quit on it. Kept going because it was his plan. And it's just one small example of how effective that is. When yeah. We'll actually come up with that and go execute. So let's bring it in for a landing. Last thing we want to talk about is something that we were ch- talking about before the show started, which was in this you know new paradigm, new normal, people need to innovate and adapt, right? So talk to us a little bit about why we should be constantly doing that, not just during times of crisis, but constantly looking on ways to innovate and adapt and win and how people can start to implement that today. Yeah, that, this, is, this is such a challenge for people, you know, which is what I love that the message of your podcast, you're Stephen, you're trying to get people to innovate, adapt, think outside the box, you know, for maybe how, how they might've invested in the past and the things they might've uh, done previously. There are a lot of people that are waiting to like, well, I'm just going to wait till we go back to the new normal. And we were talking about with local restaurants that we see, you know, the, the ones that have instantly jumped into like, hey, 
okay, we, we can't have people in the restaurant right now. So, you know, we're doing curbside, you know, deliveries uh, and, and we're going to innovate and adapt. We're going to get a great website that's user-friendly and easy to use. And those restaurants have thrived. Meanwhile, the ones that were like, hey, you know what, we'll just wait till it open backs up and everything goes back to the way it was before. And those restaurants may never open back up uh, yeah. because they, they can't survive this. So I, I think what you have to do is realize, look, we're in a different environment. The world may never go back to the way it was four months from now. There will be some balance. You know, we won't sure. be locked in our homes, you know, in, in a self-isolating mode for forever. Uh, so we need to be in a, we need to be in a position to take advantage of that. In combat operations, we always we came up with enemy's most dangerous course of action and the enemy's most likely course of action. So on any combat operation, we're going to be thinking about mm. what's the worst case scenario. Let's be prepared for that. And then we're thinking about what's the what's the likely scenario that we see happening, and let's be prepared for that. So I think if you think about those contingencies, that's going to prepare you to be able to take advantage of opportunities. Okay, worst case scenario. Okay, we're, we're six months from now, we're still locked at home, self-isolating. We've had another spike in COVID-19 you know, issues. We're ready for that. Let's, let's, let's be ready for that. But let's say the markets do go back to, uh, to, to more of a normal uh, pace uh, and we're back and actually, let's say a, a treatment comes out for COVID-19 and it totally changes the game. And now we're not even really worried about this anymore in the way, you know, from a mortality perspective that we were today. Right. Uh, and, and, and a few weeks ago. So that is, you know, we're prepared for those contingencies and ready. So you got to constantly innovate and adapt all the time. You don't see that in movies and, and books as often. And this is something that was a crucial uh, thing for us in Tasking a Bruiser, you know, our SEAL Tasking. Every single combat operation we came back from, we dropped our, our gear, we sat in the mission planning space, and we talked about what went right. We talked about what went wrong. We talked about what's the enemy doing now that we could adapt our standing operating procedures and really try to take advantage of something that they're doing and try to mitigate some risk in some way. That was crucial to our success. Everyone should be doing that all the time. And obviously, as frustrating as things are when you're in a work from home environment or you're in the self, you know, social distancing kind of self-isolating modes uh, that so many of us are in, there are real opportunities to reach out, you know, to, to look for opportunities. There are companies, even though some companies are getting crushed. Uh, like in the retail space right now or or in the oil industry, you know, with demand signal being way down, there are other companies that are absolutely thriving. So obviously there's 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 opportunities everywhere. And so you've got to detach, you got to be able to stop thinking about the way things were and look for opportunities uh, going forward. And I think there's many, many opportunities out there. I know for us in Echelon Front, even just what we're doing right here, you know, virtual, virtual before we might have called in via phone or or maybe I was sat in person in someone's studio. We're able to work with leaders and really help them solve problems through virtual training in a way that we never even realized before. So even when we go back to in-person training events, like the one you were a part of, we'll be able to follow up with people in a way through Zoom or through, through other virtual means so that we can really help you solve problems through leadership. And so that will make us better and more impactful, even as things go back to, to more normal. Uh, we, can, we can do in-person training events you know, a few months down the road. Yeah, that's awesome. And what you mentioned before about the debrief, I, I read another book. It has to do about it. Maybe it's the culture code. And they were talking about they had 40 different cultures that they really studied and honed into. The SEAL teams were one of them about what makes a great team and what the best cultures are and how they're created. And that's actually the first time I ever heard about this debrief debrief scenario was when the best cardiothoracic surgeons in the world were performing a surgery and they met through this book and they invited some SEAL teams to watch from kind of the Eagle's nest. And they watched and they did this amazing, you know, heart repair. And then they came out valve repair, whatever it was. And they started talking to the SEALs about that. And he was like, the first thing that one of the SEALs said was, 
do you guys not debrief after every surgery? And he was like, no. He's like, do you have the same nurses with the same equipment and the same problem every single time that you go into that operating room? No, absolutely not. He's like, you guys need to start doing this. We implemented that. Once I read about that, we started implementing that into every single one of our level 10 meetings every Monday. We end every meeting with what do we do right? What do we do wrong? What are we going to do different next time? And wow, does it uncover some real incredible things that maybe you're not even asking about, or maybe you don't recognize, but to take that 10, 15 minutes and to really dig into, hey, what did we do right and celebrate it? What did we do wrong? Fix it. And what should we do different next time to be better? It is an immediately effective tool to use to continually grow and get better every single time. So when you mentioned that, it just stood out to me because if you're not doing this, you, you have to be doing this. There's no question, Stephen, it's game changer. It's absolute game changer. But I, I would say this, it's only effective if you are honest with yourself. That realistic, honest assessment that I was talking about earlier. This yeah. is why humility is the most important quality in a leader. Because we, we see companies that will implement this. And, you know, particularly at the big, you know, kind of the corporate, the, in the big corporate world. And they want to just, if they want to just talk about how awesome they are. And, and like, right. let me, let me showcase how great my team was in front of my boss. Yeah. When I'm like, man, that, look, this is not, that's not what this is for. If, if you're not actually taking a look at where you can improve, then there's no point in even doing it. Um, and once you see the leadership of, on any team, whether it's a entrepreneurs and a very small team, you know, or whether it's a, a larger corporate team, once you see leaders taking ownership and saying, you know, I should have done this better. I could have done a better map study here or could have done better to coordinate, you know, with this other unit we were working with, right. you know, prior to us launching. Then all of a sudden, everybody at every level of the team is stepping up and taking ownership and solving problems. And you've got a team that's actually, they're learning and growing and adapting and they're getting better and better and better with every iteration. It's not that they're ever mistake-free, but you're learning from mistakes and growing from those mistakes. Um, and and your, your team is going to run circles around every other team. And when you start to implement this, it might be difficult in the beginning as a leader. So what we did is we said, hey, you know, I don't think we have this culture that we want of extreme ownership. So we need to start doing that. And we would begin, now we had a bigger team at the time, 10, 15 people. And we would begin every weekly meeting with, hey, here's where I blew it in the past week. I've kept track of it. And here's where things that I messed up on. And it was just inward, right? We, we stopped pointing outward to say, hey, you dropped the ball on this. And it took probably a month of these weekly meetings before somebody else jumped in and said, hey, this is where I blew it last week. And then over time, it just continued to be that humble thought process around the table of like, well, let me think what I did wrong and present it to the group versus hiding that information, which is, I think, kind of the what most people want to do. As a standard when, human condition, no doubt. When you have this culture of saying, hey, let's bring up what I did wrong and not what you did wrong. And people start looking inward and start taking that, that next level of accountability. That's a game changer. And this is what I was talking about with extreme ownership, Steven. So let's say, let's say we're debriefing on some, on some project that we just uh, completed and you screwed something up and you didn't deliver you know, a key piece of that project on time or within budget or wherever it was. If I come at you and be like, Steven, you screwed this up and you need to fix that. You know, I mean, that's, this is exactly what I'm talking about. You're, what are you going to do? You're going to push back at me. You're going to point fingers at me. We're not actually going to get to the root of get, getting that problem solved. Whereas if I actually, and if I'm in charge of this team and you didn't deliver something, ultimately it, it is my fault. So if I truly believe that, then what I'm going to say is, listen, Steven, you know, that key task didn't get done and I didn't do a good enough job explaining to you why that was important of making sure that you had the training resources necessary to complete that task. 
uh, and really tracking with you and following up with you early enough to, to where we can make sure that, uh, that we can get some of those problems solved, even with some of the setbacks. I'm going to do a better job of that going forward. And your reaction, yeah. instead of being just like with your, you know, your kid, we were talking about earlier, instead of you being like, you're right, Leif, that is all your fault. You're actually going to say, you know what? I should have reached out earlier. I realized it was going to be a problem and I'm not going to let that happen next time. So we're actually going to get that problem solved. We're going to put in uh, together a plan to make sure that that problems get solved next time. Uh, and, and we're not going to have that issue again. Yeah. My wife did ask me when I was going to come out with the children's book, everything is your fault. And uh, so I said, we should probably work on that together. Well, listen, all incredible stuff. If you haven't gone out and gotten the book, Extreme Ownership, go get it. And the follow-up to that dichotomy of leadership, I think is so important as well, because the principles that you guys lay out, there's nuance to it, right? It's not a hard and fast line. There's a lot of gray in it. And that's what dichotomy of leadership is really covering. And that gave me a lot of um, just really good pointers because it's not a straightforward situation every single time. It's not the same situation every time. And, and when you're prioritizing and executing, you're also prioritizing and executing how you deal with some of these relationships and some of these people and who gets a longer rope, who gets a shorter rope. And so it's not hard and fast rules. They're great chapter by chapter rules to be able to implement into your life. Really, and for me, the whole reason that extreme ownership applies so well to our business is because I no longer wanted to be at the beck and call of Wall Street. I had zero say in what these businesses are doing. I have no understanding of market fundamentals and why the market might be up or why it might be down. My dad passed away six years ago and he lost a lot of money in the market and didn't live long enough to ride it back up. And what I started to recognize is that we are offloading a lot of our financial ownership to Wall Street, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and ETFs. And we don't really understand why they work, how they work. So I wanted to take control of my financial future in a way that nobody else will. So when you think about how to get free from Wall Street, how to take control of your financial future, what you're going to invest in, how is your family going to retire? How, what kind of generational wealth are you going to pass on? You are the only person that is going to care about that the way that it should be cared about. If you can't take extreme ownership in your personal life and your personal finances, you're never going to have any level of financial freedom. So right now, as we were talking about before, innovate, adapt. You can right now do all kinds of things that you were not able to do before, penalty-free withdrawals from 401ks and TSPs. You can do all kinds of things in terms of investing and getting away from the volatility of the market. You can do all kinds of things in your family to make those relationships stronger and better. So this quote-unquote crisis is a huge opportunity to really capitalize, take extreme ownership of your life and your finances, and just really figure out what Echelon Front is teaching business owners and leaders and how to apply that into your life. And it's been incredible. I mean, I, I think right now you can look at it as trying time or an opportunistic time. And if you take ownership and you really look at it from a way that can be life-changing, then I think you'll, you'll win in this environment. Otherwise, like you mentioned before, some of those restaurants that won't be opening, some of those families will be destroyed. Some of those businesses will be destroyed as well. But on the converse, you can really win during a time like this. And you know, you're, you're showing us how to do that. We really appreciate it. On the battlefield, we, we said adapt or die. It's adapt or die. And, and you've got you've got to do that. You have to be willing to do that. And I think you're exactly right, Stephen. This is a, an amazing opportunity. And uh, there's certainly some challenges. I don't want to make light of those challenges. Right. Uh, this is a deadly disease we're dealing with, uh, for sure. But there are some there's some awesome opportunities out there, and you just have to be willing to free your mind, detach, 
see the bigger picture rather than try to focus on, you know, when do we get back to the way things always were? That's right. Well, Leif, awesome talking to you, man. Really appreciate the amazing tips and tricks. If people want to reach out, who's the ideal client? Who should they reach out to? How do they get in touch with you guys? They can contact us through the website, echelonfront.com. And, uh, you know, really for us, it's uh, that we just launched an, an EF online training program. So we have an online training program. Now we're doing multiple webinars a week uh, where we put out some information. We answer uh, questions from leaders. Uh, so if you want to come check out what we're doing, we'd be excited to have you. Anyone who's interested in improving themselves in any capacity, no matter what level uh, of leader they are in any organization, all the way down to the, the frontline individual contributor or individual entrepreneur not in charge of themselves, or just in charge of themselves and, and their piece of the mission. Love to have you. We're excited to work with any leaders in any capacity. We're taking the whole team to the next muster. So we're excited. And I think it's going to be uh, pretty cool to wake up that early and work out with you guys too. So we're stoked. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Lee. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Like what you hear? Be sure to subscribe and head over to freefromwallstreet.com and sign up for our free guides to help you and your family invest with purpose.